adults start to grow and start to serve the Lord. So we are, we are blessed to have you as a part of our church family. Um, there were a couple of others on, our, on this uh, trip. Um, from David, David was actually, David Lopez was one of the primary uh, functionaries on this. And Lindsay, would you raise your hand? Raise your hand way up, high, high, high. Lindsay was also on this trip, but uh, we, didn't drag, we didn't get Catherine to drag her up here. Um, and uh, so we, we had some folks on this, on this particular trip, and I just want to remind you that this is what this is about, where missions is concerned. Um, we recognize that there are people in these countries doing lots of things and trying to reach out. We also recognize that sometimes if we send 50 or 60 or 300 Americans over there, um, we can get a lot accomplished in a short time, and it will help in that local community. It will also make a big impact on the people who go. And so if you're still thinking about this, if you are, are concerned about the possibilities of going, if you're worried about um, what it means and what shots you'll have to get, um, don't worry too much. They only hurt for a little while. And um, we w- I just would really like to encourage you, if you're thinking about it, to go ahead. We, again, have this project coming up in India in December that you would be welcome on, we, but we only have about four more spaces left. And then in the spring, again, we'll have another uh, trip probably back to the Dominican, although that hasn't been finalized yet. But um, if you're thinking about it, I really want to encourage you. It is a life-changing event. It does give you the opportunity to be impacted by serving others and serve with the kind of, uh, the kind of opportunities that we, we rarely get in the United States. So, again, if you're thinking about it, I want to encourage you to do so. Um, we did Revelation chapter 10. We talked about Revelation chapter 10 last week. And this week we're going to talk about Revelation chapter 12. I bring you again greetings from Pastor Greg, who is, is uh, in Willits today preaching. Um, Willits is the church he pastored before he came here, and they would get him back every chance they get. And uh, they, this seemed to work out for their, everyone's schedule. Um, so if you can remember, Pastor Greg will be starting in about half an hour. So uh, if you would remember that to hold him up in prayer, or even just now if you stop, I'll know that you've closed your eyes not to take a nap, but just to pray. And uh, just lift him up and just ask God to bless him and bless the Willis Church through him today. As we open Revelation chapter 12, I just want to remind you of where we've been. By the time you get to Revelation chapter 12, you've been through quite a journey in the book. Remember the book, the apocalypse, means simply a revelation. Something's being opened. Something's being revealed that wasn't there before. There is a picture being painted in front of you. And the book begins with a picture of Jesus. Now, don't, don't lose, the tr- lose track of what we found. Chapter 1, Jesus is walking among the candlesticks which represent the church. What's the point? I'm with you. I'm right in the midst of you. I'm walking among you. I'm part of you. I walk among you and I hold the messengers, the angels, the messengers to the church in my hand. I am intimately involved with what's going on in the church. Why would this be the first thing Jesus reveals? Remember, they're suffering persecution. Nobody likes them. They've broken off from the Jewish church, and so the Jew- their Jewish friends and family are mad at them. They're breaking into the pagan religion, so the pagans don't really like them. The Jewish government doesn't really like them because they're sold out to their religion. And the pagan governments don't like them because they're changing the way they think about government. So nobody really likes the Christians in the first century. And so what's Jesus' first message to the church in the first century? I am in the midst of you. I'm walking among the candlesticks. I haven't left you. I haven't forsaken you. I'm right there with you. And I hold your messengers in my right hand. 
As the book then unfolds, the next there are seven churches. In each one of those churches, we find that Jesus is the answer for the problem in the church. Is that still true today? Is it true that Jesus still walks among the churches today? All the churches? Uh, please don't forget that. Please hang on to that one. He walks among the churches. He cares about the believers. He cares for and cares about us. He walks among the messengers of the churches. I tell pastors every chance I get that Jesus holds the messengers to the church in his right hand. He protects and cares for those folks. He is still actively the answer for the church, no matter what the church is presenting problem. Still true. The next thing you see is an opening up of heaven. And you see the inauguration of Jesus. And you find out that this one who is intimately involved with the church sits on the very throne of God and receives adulation from not only the angels in heaven, but the entire watching universe. Everyone gives him the same praise and adulation that is given, in fact, to the Father. And you find out that Jesus and God are one, and all the authority of heaven is in his hand. That's that visual opening. Chapter 7 begins, and he says, hey, there's a bunch of stuff coming. It's going to get ugly. The angels that are holding back the winds of strife are about to let them go. And when they do, it is going to get messy here. And then he says, but before that happens, I want to seal all of my followers. So he seals in the forehead all of his followers so that the winds of strife don't affect them. So far, has the message of Revelation been good news? It is. The message of Revelation is a revelation of Jesus' heart, Jesus' character, his interaction with the church. It is from him and of him. Don't forget that part of this. And then you have the seven seals and the seven trumpets. And as they blast, lots of scary things start rolling out. And each time when you get to the sixth one, there's a break. And in that break, there's a connection with Jesus. And he com- comes into the picture and tells about his involvement and his, con- his concern. He gives us that break from the stress and says, I'm here. I haven't forgotten. I'm still involved. Do you get the picture that this thing is revealing Jesus to you? It's helping us to understand. We get bogged down in the, in the four horsemen. We get bogged down in the plagues. We get bogged down in this application and that application. And we miss, we miss the forest because of the trees. We miss the forest. The true story, the ultimate story here is, I am there in the midst of you. I'm caring about you. I'm watching over you. I'm walking with you. No matter what your problem is, I am still the answer to that problem. Revelation chapter 10, we talked about last week, and he talks about that revelation of the idea that there's going to be a great awakening coming as these time prophecies come to their end, and there is no more prophecy. The time prophecies wind down. What's next? What's going on next? He says, hey, look, I'm still involved. I'm still engaged. I'm still here helping you. In fact, with all the authority of heaven, he stands on the sea and on the land, and he declares himself as with us and walking with us. And he opens up this idea. It opens up, as I believe it, the, the picture that these revelations are, are, are going to show us how the Great Awakening starts through the Millerite and the Second Coming movements and starts to really help us to see this, this sweet moment that's going on in the Great Awakening will be a bitter moment in the end, in the stomach. But God is still there. He still knows about it. He's still on his throne. Revelation 11 opens up with the, with the measuring of the people and the temple closes with the sounding of the trumpet. And the seventh trumpet that blows is an announcement of the second coming. And you see the response of, the, of the, the, the 24 elders speaking into that second coming, that you are coming, that you finally decided to, to end sin. That brings us to chapter 12. You just made it through Revelation in about four and a half minutes. 
First 11 chapters of Revelation in four and a half minutes. I think that's the fastest I've ever did it. done it. But Revelation chapter 12. It's kind of a pinnacle in the story. We've been seeing this and seeing this and seeing this and seeing this. And it's been a, a growing revelation of who Jesus is and what's going on. And then chapter 12. As we enter chapter 12, as I, as I told you, the conclusion of chapter 11 brings the close of the seventh trumpet. The seventh trumpet ushers in the coming of Jesus. The sounding of a trumpet was common when battle was engaging or a dignitary was coming. In the biblical culture, it was also the sound of the preparation day of the atonement. The New Testament makes it clear that this is also to be the sound that accompanies the return of Jesus. So a trumpet means a lot of things, okay? That's the close of 11 and the beginning of 12. Remember, no chapter divisions in the original. Chapter 12 begins a new line of thought completely, a scene change and a new vision. Now, this keeps happening. It keeps being, and I saw this, and then I saw that, and then I saw this. And there's a scene change after scene change after scene change. If you thought of this like a play... It would help to really, I think, help you pull, pull it together. If you thought of it as a multi-act play, he sees these, this trumpet act go, and it goes, and it goes, and it goes, and it winds down, and the curtain closes, and another, another curtain opens, and there's a new scene in chapter 12, a different scene. Things have changed. The backgrounds are different. The players are different. Acts are, actors are different, and the actions are different. So this is, the, this is what's happening in chapter 12. The scene changes, and a new vision catches John's attention. He watches a woman and a great dragon before him. The dragon presses an attack on her and she is miraculously rescued the very important moment this very important moment reveals the drama behind the scenes of earth's history it is as if god has said enough about what is going to happen let's show you what's happening now and something well we're going to get upgraded there they are Revelation chapter 12 says, now a great sign, it was a perfect time for that to happen, Jeff, because now I'm going to read a little bit. A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of twelve stars. Then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. And another sign appeared in heaven, behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his head. That'll be important when we cross into 13 next week. So where are the horns this week? On the head. As we, I'm going to do a quick summary of 13 next week. Watch where the horns go. It's significant in the understanding of this, of this passage. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And a dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth and devour her child as soon as it was born. She bore a male child who was to rule the nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God and to his throne. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where, she was, where a place was prepared by God that, she should, that they should feed her there 1,260 days. So taking this from the back, have you heard of this 1,260 day thing before? Yes, it appears all over the place. It's in 10, it's in 11. It's back in Daniel. It keeps popping up. There's 1,260 days, 42 months, three and a half times. It keeps showing up and showing up and showing up. Here it is again at the beginning of, or at this introductory picture. We have a woman standing in front of a dragon. What is the nature of the woman's current health condition? She is with child. In fact, she's about to give birth, right? She's in the very act of giving birth. She's in labor as this scene opens up. What is she facing? This crazy looking seven headed dragon with ten horns and, and crowns and a third of the angels, a third of the third of the stars from heaven caught up in his tail. And she's facing that as she starts chapter 12. The woman 
represents the church. I'm going to give you a couple texts each time. If you want to check on something, take a picture of the screen or write down the texts. The one represents the church in, in this story. The church that Jesus has been saying I'm intimately engaged with. The church that Jesus has been walking among. The church that he's been saying I'm the answer for. Now this woman appears and she represents the church. What does it say about Christ? Where did Jesus show up on the earth? Within the church. You get it? When Jesus was born in Bethlehem, he was born within the body of the church. He's born within the body of believers. Okay? Both spiritually, that is true, and physically, that is true. They look like, the, her clothing looks like the same righteous clothing of Jesus, clothed in the sun. With this crown of stars on her head. The, the question about the stars, people wonder whether, what the stars are. Are they angels? Are the stars angels? Not sure. Are the stars the, the representative of the disciples? Not sure. Are the stars representative of, of the tribes of Egypt or tribes of Israel? Not sure. Probably not the tribes of Egypt. Tribes of Israel? Not sure. We're not positive. It makes sense with the rest of the story that it probably represents messengers from God. Okay? Because the angels are our representative of messengers from God and the stars keep showing up representing that sort of thing. So it's probably those things. Um, the twelve, so the twelve stars, messengers to the church. The moon is under her feet. This does not appear much in scripture. You don't see people standing on the moon in scripture. I believe that we're, what we're really looking at here, as she stands on the moon, is a representation that the church has no light of its own. It simply reflects the light of Jesus, like the moon reflects the light of the sun. The child. This one's pretty easy. Who's the child? Besides the fact that it's on the screen. The child is Jesus, okay? Remember, he raises up and he rules the world, okay? He, this, is the, this is the birth of Christ being reckoned, reckoned with. The, the dragon, who's the dragon? How do we know that? Because verse 9 says, this is the serpent, Satan of old, that dragon. It, it's, it's very clear in verse 9 that this dragon repre- represents Satan. So what do we have here? What confrontation are we really looking at? We're looking at a confrontation between the church... At the coming of Jesus and the devil himself. You got that? Is that clear in the picture you're seeing? Okay. Now here's what you ought to know. What happened on earth when Jesus was born? Do you remember what happened on earth? Remember what the reaction was by Herod the king? He had all the children killed in the, in the region around Nazareth, around Bethlehem. Right? He had all these children killed. Why was he doing that? He's trying to eliminate the king who would come and take his throne. Who was behind that? Satan was. You see how the picture is being peeled back and you're seeing the players that are really pulling the strings in the background now? You see that that's what's going on? Not if you understand what I'm saying. Okay? Okay, if you don't do this, then I'll keep talking. Okay? Nobody did this miraculously. The picture, though, what I, want, what I really want you to understand is what we've done is we've stepped back from the picture on the earth. We've been painting pictures of what's happening on the earth. Here's what's happening in the church with the seals and the trumpets. And here's Jesus interacting with the people in the church. And here's what's happening as we move into this time no longer, these, the prophecies no longer period. And here's what's going on behind the, on the earth with that. And then we take one step back away from all that. And what we're seeing is the puppeteer now. 
We're seeing what's going on on the earth is actually a part of a much bigger picture. It's a part of a much bigger conflict. That the issues on the earth are now a part of this conflict between good and evil, between Christ and Satan. And Satan stands there hoping at the time of Christ's birth to eliminate Jesus. Herod kills all of these children around Bethlehem in an attempt to eliminate a king who would take his throne. But what's really going on is Satan is attempting to eliminate Jesus. Now do you see it? You've stepped back and the bigger issues are unfolding. That's what Revelation chapter 12 is about. Giving us a picture of the bigger issues behind the scene. Helping us to understand what's going on on the earth is being directly affected by what's going on behind the scene. The seven heads with the seven crowns. Uh, chapter 17, 9 and 10 speaks of a similar beast, has seven heads and seven, and it says the seven heads are seven mountains and there are seven kings. When you start looking at these heads and these horns and these crowns, we're talking about powers and kings and leadership. That's political power and authority on the earth. What I want you to understand in these seven heads is they represent something very specific. Check this out. These seven powers represent the seven powers who attempted to eliminate God's plan, attempted to stop Jesus from arriving on the earth. Go back to the beginning. The genocide of males in Egypt. The Egyptians wanted to kill off all the males. Who's pulling the strings behind such behavior? Satan is. What do you do if you kill off the right baby? Moses dies and Israel doesn't leave, right? You stop the lineage of Jesus. You stop the lineage of the people who will, who will give birth. I don't know that Satan's, Satan's uh, plan has great foresight in mind, but at the moment it seemed like the right thing to do maybe. Okay? Another, uh, another group arrives on the scene. It's years later. The Assyrians come along and they destroy, destroy the northern ten tribes of Israel. They do such a good job that they're to this day called the lost tribes of Israel because we don't know where they are. They were absorbed into the Assyrian nations, and they're gone. They've disappeared. Okay? If you eliminate 10 of the 12 tribes of Israel, how good is your shot at eliminating the coming Messiah who's coming out of Israel? Those are pretty decent odds, aren't they? If you could eliminate 10 out of the 12, you know, okay, I've I've pretty much gotten myself down to a very minimal issue. You've probably, you, you would think you've cleared out the Messiah. Had he? No. Is God still working? Yeah, we're going to see in a few minutes in this story that Satan really doesn't have much of a chance, but he keeps trying. Then Babylon captures the southern two tribes and hauls them off to Babylon after a a war in which Jerusalem is destroyed. Jerusalem had never fallen before this time. Babylonians take the Israelites off into Babylon. Now you get the Israelites and the Israelite leadership into Babylon, and only out of that major group that goes off and grows up in Babylon, only about... 25% 25% return. How good are your odds now that you've eliminated the Messiah? Are they getting better? Yeah, yeah. Then along comes the Persians. They continue to hold the people. In fact, these are the people who absorb the rest of the leadership of Israel. The Persian nation has a great Jewish bloodline in it because this large group of Jews never came home. They just, as with the Assyrians, they just absorbed into the culture of the Persians. And there, there, is a, there was a long-standing Jewish minority in Persia, but by and large, they absorbed into the land, into Persia. 
The Greeks are next on the scene, and the Bible has this interesting picture in Revelation or in Daniel 10 and 11. has this picture of the Greeks overrunning and passing through, overrunning and passing through. The battles between the Greek kings kept happening in Israel. Thousands of Israelis are killed. Thousands of Jewish people are killed because of these battles back and forth through there. They actually try to enforce the stoppage of temple worship. They try to stop temple worship completely. Okay? Next along comes Rome. We know the, the big issue here is they crucified Jesus himself on the throne. But the Romans were in authority when Herod was going about doing what he was doing. The Romans were in authority across the empire when, when the Jewish Jews and the Christians were persecuted. And who's pulling the strings behind the Romans? Again, it's Satan. He's the one trying to stop the plan of God. He crucifies Jesus, puts him on a cross... And thinks he's done it. Right? They bury him in a tomb behind a stone. They put a seal on the tomb. Thinking now we have this thing knocked. Okay, I got rid of ten tribes and I missed him. I hauled him off to Babylon and I missed him. I had wars constantly. His relatives keep getting killed and I missed him. Now I know who he is. He's revealed himself. And now that he's out, I've hung him on a cross, I've buried him behind a rock. Surely now, surely now. And Jesus said, not quite. And an angel shows up on Sunday morning and he rolls away the stone. And the Messiah comes out from behind the stone, resurrected, renewed, with the authority of heaven restored, inaugurated on the throne as a lamb that was slain, carrying forward into the presence of God the blood of the sacrifice that will cover you and me forever. And the 24 elders fall at his feet and they throw down their crowns and they say, Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And the resurrected Jesus walks among the churches with the authority of heaven in his hand. And the messengers of the church cradled in his palm. So Revelation chapter 12 is saying, yeah, the story goes on and the story goes on and the Satan keeps trying and he keeps trying and he keeps trying and he does horrible things. Those first 11 chapters, he does horrible things and awful things happen on the earth. And we live in a time when we look across the landscape, you turn on the news and you say, he's still doing horrible things. Christians are still being persecuted. People who follow God are still being hunted down like dogs and killed. But there is an empty tomb. And there was a sacrifice made. And that same Jesus went up to heaven and was inaugurated on the throne with God, the lamb that was slain, worthy to, to receive riches and power and honor and glory. Why? Because he made us, he redeemed us, he loves us, and he's with us. At the end of the day, that's all we need to know about Revelation. 
At the end of the day, that's what needs to be revealed to us. We need to understand that we're not walking this path alone. The story will go on to tell you there was a war before all this mess we got ourselves into started. Michael and his angels fought against the devil and his angels. The devil lost there and got thrown out. And he's lost here too. You got to understand you are on the winning team. The war's not over, but the final outcome is sure. Jesus has, in fact, come back from the dead. He is alive. He sits on the throne with the authority of God. That's why he could come down and put one foot on the land and one foot on the water and declare it. Because he died to make it true. And behind the scenes, the devil keeps working in your life. He keeps messing with you. He sends you a nasty boss and you suffer under that for a little while. And then he gets rid of that boss and you have a new day born. Something happens in your marriage or in your family. Someone you love dies. Some horrible thing happens to the people you care about. Some horrible thing happens to you. Some disease falls on your life. And he says, look, I'm not just walking among a bunch of buildings. I'm walking among the people of the church. The buildings aren't the church. The people are the church. I'm walking among the lampstands. You're the lampstands. The little light, it belongs to you. The walking, it's Jesus. And he's actively involved in your life day to day. Yes, Satan's pulling puppet strings and people are doing bad things on the earth but you and I we don't have to worry because this is not our final end this is not our final home all they could do in the end is kill us and the reality is Jesus is alive to assure resurrection for you and for me and Satan can pull all the strings he wants he can play with all the puppets he wants but he is a defeated foe defeated in this world defeated in your life nothing needs to overcome your faith in God nothing needs to push aside your faith in God nothing needs to take the place of Jesus on the throne of your life nothing needs to take your attention so fully that you forget about following him Because in fact, he sits on the throne of heaven with all the power and all the authority of heaven. And he reaches down his hand and he takes you in. And he says, I still care about what happens in your life. And at the end of the day, your resurrection is as sure as mine. If you have never or if you have forgotten or if you have walked away from your relationship with God, don't walk out of here without getting that straight. Go back to him, surrender to him, ask him to take leadership in your life. Give him the the keys to your kingdom. Let him be the one on your throne. Get off the throne. Stop trying to drive the bus. Let him lead. And if you do, he will walk you all the way home. He will get you there. I promise. He promised. And that thing in your life that you think is insurmountable, that relationship with your husband, that relationship with your wife, That relationship with your friends, your family, that illness is not beyond his authority, is not beyond his power. You can trust him. The chapter ends with the devil going out angry with the people of God. He knows he's lost, he knows he's defeated, he knows now all he can do is pull the strings and make people's lives miserable. But as much as that sounds like bad news, it's really good. Because it's proof. It's proof that they lost. 
It's proof that he's done. And now we just wait for the final act when Jesus comes. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we know that we see just a tiny, tiny glimpse of the things that are going on in the world. That in our little corner of the world, we have these blinders on to keep us from understanding what you're doing. Thank you that you have not forgotten your children. That you've come to this world to rescue us from it. That you've given your life so that our eternity would be secure. That Satan is a defeated, lying foe. We lay on you today our need for rescue. Our need for rescue from a bad situation financially. From a bad situation in our job. From a bad situation with our health. From a bad situation with our family. And we ask for a newness and a rebirth in those arenas of our lives. We thank you for what you will do and the assurance of your return. In Jesus' name, amen.